Would you please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24? Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. And you'll find that on page 884 of your church Bibles. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, there's a copy of God's Word in the pouch in front of you. And please um, receive it as a gift from our church family. We'd love for you to have it. Put your name in it, take it home, and it's your Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, that is the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. The late Oliver Sacks uh, was a neurologist and physician, and you may remember him. Robin Williams portrayed his life in the movie Awakenings many years ago. But Dr. Sachs, before his death, uh, wrote a book about his career titled The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat and Other Clinical Tales. And in that book, Dr. Sachs told about a patient in 1975 named Jimmy. Jimmy was a likable, friendly man. If you looked at Jimmy, you'd think he was as healthy as a horse. Jimmy had Korsakoff's syndrome, a rare neurological disorder. Jimmy would come into Dr. Sachs's office and he'd stick out his hand and say, Hiya, Doc, how you doing? And he was cooperative, and he answered all of the questions that Dr. Sachs had. Jimmy could recall his youth. He remembered enlisting in the Navy in 1943, and he remembered going to World War II. He was a submariner. Jimmy knew Morse code. He still knew Morse code there in 1975. Jimmy could rehearse in detail uh, his naval service until his discharge in 1945. But after 1945, the memory stopped. Totally. Jimmy couldn't remember anything 
after 1945 to the present, at that time, 1975. I mean, Jimmy, in 1975, thought that Truman was still president. Jimmy thought that the periodic table of elements stopped at uranium. And, and the moon? <laughs> what do you mean going to the moon? No one's been to the moon. I mean, Jimmy could not recall anything after just a few minutes. And even though he was 49 years of age, Jimmy still thought he was 19. And so when Dr. Sachs showed him the mirror, Jimmy looked at the gray hair on his head and gasped, ah, oh, what's happened to me? Am I crazy? And Dr. Sachs calmed him down, took the mirror away, said, Jimmy, just relax now. Just, Jimmy, just look out that window there and see that park and there on the park, you see that ball diamond where the kids are playing? I just want you to pay attention to that and, and, and take a look at that right now. I'll, I'll be right back. And Dr. Sachs left the room for exactly two minutes and he returned. And Jimmy was still looking out the window and Dr. Sachs came in and Jimmy wheeled around and said, hiya doc, how you doing? Nice morning, want to talk? Do I pull up a chair? And Dr. Sachs said, haven't we met before? And Jimmy said, no, I don't think so. And over the next nine years, Dr. Sachs and Jimmy were introduced and reintroduced over and over and over and over. And Jimmy stayed in a convalescent home where Dr. Sachs worked, but, but he could never learn his way around the halls. He was good at checkers and tic-tac-toe, but he couldn't play chess because the moves were too slow. And Oliver Sachs said this, I've never, ever encountered such a power of amnesia over the life of another human being as I have with Jimmy. I mean, the possibility of a, of a pit, a, a black hole into which everything, every experience, every event, every conversation would just fathomlessly drop. The staff at the convalescent home spoke of Jimmy as a lost soul. He was a lost soul. Without our, without our memories, we're lost souls. Now, I think about these poor women who came to the tomb in Luke 24. On one hand, they weren't lost. They knew where the tomb of Jesus was. But on the other hand, they were lost. They were lost in grief, lost in sorrow, lost hope. Jesus had died. They'd come with aromatic spices in a vain attempt to mask the effects of death. And they'd not been able to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. Friday sunset had come and the Sabbath began. And on the first day, they came early to finish caring for Christ's body. And the last thing on their minds was a resurrection. None of them awoke that morning and said, Hey, it's the third day of Jesus' death. Let's go check out the tomb. Instead, they came expecting a corpse. 
They came seeking the dead among the dead. And so imagine their surprise when they saw an open tomb. They entered and Jesus' body was gone. Now they're puzzled. And that's when two angels in, I love how Luke tells it, dazzling apparel flashed before them. And perplexity became fear as these women collapsed before these celestial strangers. And the angels didn't say, fear not. You know, that's their typical greeting throughout the Bible. First two words out of any angel's mouth after they show up, fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Not here. No, the angels questioned them, almost rebuking them. You're puzzled? You're puzzled. Well, we're puzzled. We're puzzled as why you're puzzled. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? What are you doing here? He's not here. He's risen. And then the angels speak that all-important word in verse 6. It's... Today's a one-word sermon. You wish. (laughs) But here's the word. Remember. Remember. Remember how he told you? And so someone once said, we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. And you know why. Because we weren't really listening in the first place. We weren't really paying attention. We kind of nodded, you know, but we didn't get it. I've got a friend who says, yeah, I've just been to another bobblehead meeting. They're just nodding, but they don't get it, right? And so we have to be told again. Parents have to remind their little cherubs and professors have to remind their adult graduate students Didn't you read the syllabus? Employers have to remind employees. And then those poor TSA officers at the airport. Oh, my goodness. Yes, take your shoes off. Yes, put them in the gray tray. That's right. Just put them in the gray tray. No, not you. Your pre-check. Remember? No, you don't have to take your laptop out. You're pre-check. No, not you. You're not pre-check. No, remember. Remember. Memory slippage. Mission slippage. Identity slippage. All of these call for us to have to be told to remember. Remember how he told you while he was still at Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus had to be wounded so that we would be healed. Jesus had to be broken so that we would be made whole. Jesus had to be rejected so that we would be embraced. On the cross, the justice of God kissed the mercy of God as the Lamb of God died in our place for us. It had to happen. 
And more than once in Luke's gospel, Jesus told his followers what would happen to him. I mean, in Luke 9, 43 and 44, the scripture says, while the people were all marveling at everything Jesus was doing, he said to his disciples, and here's the preview, here's the preview, let these words sink into your ears. I mean, that's a heads up, right? Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? But if it's not clear enough, consider Luke 18, verse 33. I mean, you can't get clearer than this. They will kill the Son of Man, and on the third day he will rise. <laughs> Remember... More than any other gospel writer, Luke urges memory recall. But, but, but it's more than just mental recollection. It's more than just document recovery. In the Bible, remembering involves the heart and the will. So to remember is to bring a past event into my present life in such a way that I'm changed. It transforms me, and not just for the moment, but for forever, for the future. To remember is not just cognitive recognition. It's a whole life activity. So biblically, to remember means do something about it. Do something about it. So Paul, in Galatians 2.10, says... Remember the poor. <laughs> now, you know what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that when um, we have a family or families or individuals or friends on behalf of individuals coming into the lobby during the week and we have a, a vibrant uh, food pantry ministry and folks come and, and uh, seeking a, a little bit of help and so they come and, oh good, you're here. We want to remember you. Everybody, stop what you're doing. Okay, have a good day. Be warm and well fed. No, you know that's not what the scripture means when it says remember the poor. It means do something about it. Let what comes to mind affect your life and transform your life. So memory is a whole life activity. Why do we have national cemeteries? Arlington, France, the Philippines. It's more than just mental acknowledgement of, an emotion, uh, of a historical event. It's emotional. It's volitional. Those sacred lawns call us to live in a unified way that honors their sacrifice. And so those sacred lawns call us to remember ourselves from the parts into a whole. On Friday, the cross's chaos caused the disciples to scatter and flee full of fear. Anybody afraid today? Recently, a columnist in The Atlantic wrote these words. Fear is in the air and fear is surging. Americans are more afraid today than they've been in a long time. Fear of terrorism, fear of violence. But where is superpower? And yet there's so much fear. 
Fear of financial ruin, fear uh, uh, for our children, fear of loss, fear of losing the American way of life. And these fears split us and cause us to be polarized. And fear can lead us to the act of othering. The cross caused chaos, and the disciples scattered full of fear. But on Sunday, the angel said, remember, let the words of the risen one put your lives back together and heal you. You don't need new information. You need to remember what he's already told you. This tomb is the wrong place to look for Jesus. And here we hear the gospel. Verse 8, they remembered his words. These ladies, these first messengers, these apostles to the apostles came to believe and their perplexed fear became amazing faith through the maze of memory. He is risen. Jesus is absent only among the dead. He is present with the living. This, this feels like fresh news, but it's not. I mean, they should have seen it, but they didn't. But now they do, and when they do, they don't need to be told to go and tell the others. Luke does not have the angel saying to these ladies, now go and tell. Luke has these angels just saying, remember. And verse 8 says, they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Luke gives names. Go fact check this, Luke says. They'll tell you how puzzled and afraid they were. And then they'll tell you how they remembered and returned. And then they will be happy to tell you about how slow those boys were to believe and how their cultural prejudices kept them from remembering. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale of women. And then those women will tell of Peter and how he heard what they said and bolted out the door, raced to the tomb, saw what they saw, linen cloths by themselves. And inside that tomb, Peter saw signs of God's victory over death. And the scripture says, he marveled. Verse Verse 12, he went home marveling at what had happened. It doesn't say he believed, does it? It says he marveled. There's a difference between marveling and believing. Peter marveled. It doesn't say he believed. And you know why, don't you? Big idea coming your way. It takes, it takes more than an empty tomb to generate faith. You need the word of Christ. You need the word of Christ to interpret the tomb of Christ. Because we don't just live by 
the facts of an event. We live by our interpretation of the facts of the event, right? And that's what they needed. And that's what Luke 24 gives us. I mean, all throughout Luke 24, we have the word of Christ interpreting the tomb of Christ. And so along the Emmaus Road, Jesus appears undetected among two disciples who had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And, and then Jesus, in, in such a pastoral, pastoral tone, verse 25, he says to them, Oh, foolish ones! And slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You know, Christ goes to the word to explain the tomb. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. The, the whole Bible is about Jesus. And, and then later on in Luke 24, when Christ appears to the ladies and to the two and, and now to the boys, he said to them, verse 44, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled over and over. Jesus says, we talked about this. We've talked about this. Remember, remember. And verse 45 says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And what did they understand? They understood that the Bible is not just a collection of 66 separate books, but rather that the Bible is one unified storyline Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and God's passionate pursuit to restore and re repair and reconcile this broken world culminated in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And what God intends to do in the new heavens and the new earth and with your bodies, he has already done and begun with his son. Remember. Remember. In yesterday's Wall Street Journal, there's an article titled The Easter Effect, and the author of the article wrote these words, there is no accounting for the rise of Christianity without weighing the revolutionary effect of what they called the resurrection. How did a ragtag band of nobodies from the far edges of the Mediterranean world become such a dominant cultural force in just two and a half centuries? And Jesus himself answers that question in Luke 24, 46. Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So the book of Acts records the sermons of the early church. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter does not stand up and say, Israel, let us consider now some of the principles of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. No. No, this was his sermon. In fact, these were the sermons in the book of Acts. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. Hope lives. Now choose. 
And that message transformed the Roman Empire. You killed him. God raised him. We saw him. Hope lives. Jews. Jews. Someone once said, everything can be fixed except death. You, you cannot fix death. But death can be defeated by the author of life. He's risen. And echoes of Christ's victory are all throughout the scripture. We just need to open our eyes and see. So there's Jonah, who is in the belly of the great fish three days. What's that? That is what we call death. But then God resurrects him. That's a sign, Jesus said. You will not be given a sign except the sign of Jonah. Uh, what about Ezekiel's vision of dry bones springing to life at the very word of God? That's, a, that's, a, that's an echo of resurrection. There's even this obscure little passage in 2 Kings that offers us Easter hope. It's just two verses. Maybe you know it. I've blown through 2 Kings 13 so many times. But here it just stood out. It's this. 2 Kings 13, 20, and 21. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Now, I think that's about the strangest two verses I've ever read in the Bible. I mean... A dead man thrown into the grave of a dead prophet, and that man came back to life. That's it. And we don't know his name, his family, what he did after that, how they responded to his resurrection. We just know he was dead, and then he wasn't. Now, what are we to remember from that for this Easter Sunday? Well, what? Here it is. Here it is. Who you're buried with matters. Who you're buried with matters. I mean, Elisha was the prophet of God after Elijah. Elisha, Elijah. Elijah was the prophet taken up in the chariot of fire. Elisha came after, and he wasn't the Messiah. He was not the Word made flesh, but he was the flesh and blood anointed prophet of God who spoke the Word of God. And this anonymous man doesn't resurrect because of anything he did. Rather, he is raised because of who he ends up being buried with. His union with Elisha's death results in his own resurrection. He was tossed into Elisha's death and made alive. Now remember that. Who you're buried with matters. But now don't leave here and go out looking for a dead prophet so you can join him six feet under. <laughs> no. No, if all of the scriptures are about Jesus, well then, oh, oh, 
When you gave your life to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, your baptism signified a union, not with a prophet who spoke the word of God, but rather the very word of God made flesh. Do you not know, the apostle says, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this don't you remember who you're buried with matters? And it doesn't matter who you are. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter what your name is. There's a reason that man in 2 Kings is nameless because the only name that matters is the name of the one you're buried with. The name you're baptized into. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, child of God, you are never buried alone. You've been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Therefore, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your resurrection is as certain as Easter's empty tomb. Remember that. Remember that, that our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Remember that. Remember Jimmy? He knew exactly who he was and where he was in World War II, submarine and all. But he was lost at sea there in that convalescent home. But then one day, Dr. Sachs saw Jimmy in the chapel receiving communion. And this is what Dr. Sachs said. Fully, intensely, quietly, with absolute concentration, Jimmy entered and he partook of Holy Communion. And when he did that, he was wholly held there was no Korsakoff's then, and, and nor did it seem possible or imaginable that there ever would be. For, for, for in that moment of worship, Jimmy was no longer at the mercy of a faulty and fallible mind. He was wholly absorbed before the Lord of creation. In that moment, in that act of worship, Jimmy knew who he was and he knew who God was and he knew what God had done for him. He had remembered.
So then let us. Scripture says, and Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Shall we pray?